0: Hey, I'm Joey. And I'm Connor. And we're the hosts of The JC Show, a podcast on Anchor and many other platforms that deals with mental health and just life in general. We talk about life and mental health, as Joey said. We get really into the depth of it, uh, our past experiences, our future goals, and the things we want to see in the mental health system. We would really appreciate it if you would come stop by. Go to twitter.com forward slash Show 0 or the link tree at linktree slash JC show. That would be very helpful. Thank you very much. We hope to see you there. Have a good one. Please be aware that true crime by the book may discuss topics, share opinions, and use language that could be disturbing or offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Tidings and Salutations Bibliophages. Welcome to another episode of True Crime by the Book. Every week we get together here to discuss books, movies, and documentaries that center on true crime. I'm your host, the librarian, Tasha Pierce. And this week, we will be discussing the docu-series that is airing on Netflix right now called Kill- Killer Inside: The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Now, I would be negligent if I did not address that the sports world lost another legend this past Sunday. Uh, Kobe Bryant was among the victims of a helicopter crash in Calabasas in which uh, nine people died in total in an accident that shocked many of us to our cores. Now, there are a lot of opinions on Kobe, both professionally and personally, but I choose today to focus on the ways he improved the world around him. Bryant was the official ambassador for the After School All-Stars, that's an American nonprofit organization that provides comprehensive afterschool programs to children in 13 U.S. cities. Bryant also started the Kobe Bryant China Fund, which partnered with the Sung Xing Ling Foundation, a charity backed by the Chinese government. The Kobe Bryant China Fund raises money within China, earmarked for education and health programs. And then on November fourth, 2010, Bryant appeared along Zach Braff at the Call of Duty Black Ops launch at the Santa Monica Airport, where they presented a $1 million check to the Call of Duty Endowment, an Activision-founded nonprofit organization that helps veterans transition to civilian careers after their military service has ended. Bryant established Kobe Inc. to own and grow brands in the sports industry. Uh, the initial investment was a 10% stake in the Body Armor Super Drink company for $6 million in March 2014. And those headquarters are in Newport Beach, California. With the Coca-Cola company purchasing a minority stake in the company in August 2018, the valuation of Bryant's stake rose to approximately $200 million. Now, on August 22nd, 2016, Bryant and his business partner, Jeff Stiebel, launched a venture capital firm focused on different businesses, including media, data, gaming, and technology, with $100 million in funding. In 2018, Bryant became the first African-American to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film and the first former professional athlete to be nominated and to win an Academy Award in any category for his film, Dear Basketball. He's also been a very vocal spokesperson about equality in the sports world. And he was very interested in owning a WNBA franchise. And his beautiful little daughter, Gianna, who passed away with him, was a rising sports star and I'm pretty sure that if she had been given seven more years, she would be in the WNBA following in dad's footsteps. But we know at 906 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on January 26, 2020, a helicopter owned by Bryant departed from John Wayne Airport in Orange County, California. It had nine people aboard. Those people included Brian and Gianna and then Gianna's peers and their parents. Including Orange Coast College ba- baseball coach John Atabelli, uh, his wife Carrie and daughter Alyssa, Sarah Chester and her daughter Peyton, and a uh, basketball coach Christina Mauser and the pilot Ara Zobayan. The helicopter was registered to the Fillmore-based Island Express Holding Company, according to the California Secretary of State business database. The group was traveling to Bryant's Mamba Academy for a practice session when the helicopter crashed in Calabasas. Due to light rain and foggy weather that morning, the LAPD helicopters and most other air traffic were grounded. The flight tracker shows that the helicopter experienced issues while above the L.A. Zoo. The helicopter circled the area six times at an altitude of around 850 feet. At 9.30 a.m., the pilot contacted the Burbank Airport's control tower, notifying the tower of the situation. At that time, the helicopter experienced extreme fog and turned south towards the mountains. At 9.40 a.m., the helicopter climbed in altitude from 1,200 to 2,000 feet, flying at 161 knots. And by 9.45 a.m., the helicopter crashed into the side of a mountain in Calabasas, about 30 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles. And it caught on fire. Uh, The authorities were called and the fire had been extinguished by 10.30 a.m. None of the nine occupants survived. Initial reports indicate that the helicopter crashed in the hills above Calabasas in heavy fog. Uh, The surviving Bryant family members are Vanessa and their other three daughters. It seems like the world kind of paused when the announcement was prematurely made of Kobe's death. Then there was a shameful shuffle by those of us who don't trust one news site over the other. Um, I needed corroboration before I could even begin to believe that Kobe Bryant had passed away. I say it's shameful because I can remember a time in my life that if something was on the news, it had been vetted and could be trusted. This fucked up 24-hour news cycle and the ambulance chasers like TMZ have made retractions par for the course. And this story was no different. Uh, It was first reported five people were killed. Then it was reported that all of his daughters had been on the helicopter. Then it said seven people were killed. It is absolutely shameful, damn near criminal to be reporting things before you even have the story and before the family is notified. So all of this scrambling and false reporting just to be able to say we were first. So True Crime by the Book would like to offer condolences to the families and friends of the victims of this horrific accident. And issue indictments to the media for being soulless. And with all that being said, I'm sure everyone has their own opinion on this whole Kobe Bryant, uh, the way his death was handled by the media. And I would love to hear from you about it. Now, let's dig into the topic of today's episode, Aaron Hernandez. Now, the documentary outlines his early life, his college years, and finally his time in the NFL. It also indicates that he may have been living a triple life. At the heart of it all, it raises the questions, could he have been helped? Could some of his behavior be a byproduct of being raised in an abusive environment? Did football contribute to his violent behavior? And these questions are really left to the viewer and I absolutely have my own opinions on Aaron. Just know that you may not agree with me and that's okay, but there does need to be a dialogue because discussing and debating this Aaron Hernandez uh, situation may prevent another Aaron Hernandez from being created. Okay. So we start at the beginning. Aaron and his older brother, DJ, were being raised in Bristol, Connecticut, by their father, Dennis, and their mother, Terry. Now, Dennis is kind of a local legend in football, so there's no surprise that his boys were introduced to the sport early. Dennis is described as a man's man, very hyper-masculine. Uh, he was strict on his boys, known around town as the king. When your town calls you the king, DJ and Aaron had to be his heir's apparent. They may as well have been William and Harry as far as he was concerned. They were being primed to step in his oversized footprints. That meant playing football and being outstanding at it. Well, Aaron was outstanding in football and basketball and track. He was an all-around athlete, but a mediocre student. It was the latter that would cause his father to become physically abusive to Aaron. He wanted the best for his boys, and mediocrity wasn't going to cut it. And it's also noted that Dennis and Terry had a tumultuous relationship with each other that included alcoholism and domestic violence. But besides all that, Aaron still idolized his dad. His brother DJ had stated that Besides the physical abuse, Aaron may have also been sexually sexually molested by an older kid. Now, these are things that left unaddressed could turn a man into a monster. Now, we meet the high school quarterback slash friend of Aaron, and we find out that according to him, they had sexually experimented with one another throughout high school. Now, uh, Aaron's friends, the father of his friend, was in the documentary as well and talked at length about how both he and Dennis were extremely homophobic. According to him, they had created an environment that made it impossible for the boys to question their sexuality or to identify as anything but heterosexual. Now, I'm sure we can imagine the conflict that this can create in a person who does have questions. This likely added to the anxieties of regular teenage shit. Now, after DJ left for college, Aaron was excited to announce that he intended on going to Yukon with his brother. Again, following in the footsteps of dear old dad. And then tragedy struck the Hernandez family. Dennis had surgery on a hernia, and he ended up passing away after the surgery. Totally unexpected, the family was understandably grief-stricken. Family and friends knew that Aaron would never be the same. His dad, as rough as he was, was Aaron's moral compass. Without him, Aaron seemed directionless. And I'm sure it doesn't help that Terry rebounded rather quickly. And it really fucked me up when I heard that she had begun seeing Aaron's cousin's husband. Not only that, she moved him into the family home. Now imagine being an already troubled young man who just lost his father. And now you have to deal with a dude you saw all the time with your cousin and now he's banging your mom. Now that drove Aaron out of the home to his cousin Tanya's house. Now a lot has been said about Tanya being there for Aaron, how she was a ride or die and how she, he felt like she was a mother figure who he could tell anything. But in my estimation, Tanya had the anything goes house. Now, you know, Everybody knows somebody that had a household where anything went. Everybody comes there to chill, smoke weed, niggas running in and out, eat, do everything you don't want going on at your house. You take that shit to Tanya's house. So she may have been loyal, but she was also an enabler. Here, this young man was free to openly engage in things that he should have at least had to sneak to do. Uh, one of those things was smoking weed. Now, I don't have an issue with marijuana. I wish they would just legalize it for the world to enjoy, but not a minor. I'm sorry. I just don't think minors are equipped to a- to handle the side effects of marijuana consumption and the ability of the drug to kind of take over your life. Because we know, this is me off script, <laughs> we know that Although it is not a dangerous drug, anything over-consumed could become dangerous. And because marijuana has the propensity to chill you all the way out, sometimes for hours, that's not something that you want a kid having. It it can contribute to a, a spirit of laziness, but nobody can say Aaron was a lazy kid. The drug has the ability to take over your life. And I know what Aaron was trying to achieve. He wanted to dull the pain that life was handing him. Unfortunately, he was learning when he sobered up, that pain was still there. So he spent the majority of his life from 16 years old on high. Like he said, if you saw him playing in a game, he was high. If you saw him playing in college, he was high. If you saw him playing professionally, he was high. Now, he still was a first class athlete, though. So people tended to overlook his negatives. And I can empathize with him in this way. I was 12 when my mother passed away. I was very smart and very athletic and had never been in trouble at school. But when she died, when my mom died, I began to get into fights. I was an angry young lady. I was angry all the time. Uh, I got, got suspended quite a bit. And do you know what straightened out my behavior? The principal, Mr. Reese, heard me using some language that would make Samuel L. Jackson blush. He and my coach dragged me down to the office and gave me the come to Jesus speech. If I intended to continue to represent Lou Wallace High School and the mighty Black and Gold as an athlete, I could not have another behavior blemish on my record, period. Being on the honor roll wasn't going to be enough because frankly, being on the honor roll came easy to me. It was hard to manage my anger and I had to learn to direct my anger in healthy ways Admit that I was still hurting from the loss of my mom and not be impulsive. And I wanted to continue to play sports with my band of sisters. So I straightened my ass up. (laughs) But Aaron was learning the opposite lesson. He could do damn near anything. And the fact that he was an outstanding athlete was a get out of jail free card. There were no repercussions for his bad behavior, only cover ups. Once again, Aaron's fucked up behavior was being enabled. Now his prowess on the gridiron meant that a number of D1 universities were interested him as a player. Remember, Aaron had already made a verbal commitment to UConn. He still made other college visits, however, and when Aaron was just shy of 17 years old, he recommitted. This time he chose to play at the University of Florida alongside Tim Tebow and under Urban Meyer. Now, by now he was dating Cheyenne Jenkins, who he had known since elementary school, and she would go on to be his fiance and even mother a child by him. But that's getting a little ahead. He's going to play for Urban Meyer at the University of Florida. And Dennis Hernandez had set a path for his sons to follow, but Aaron was departing that path and heading to Florida. Now, there are so many reasons that this decision was problematic. The main one was the football program under Meyer. I mean, he's an excellent general. If all you cared about was winning and bowl appearances and X's and O's, then he's your man. But as far as guidance to the players, uh uh-uh. Nope. Aaron failed multiple drug tests. They got covered up. He took bullshit courses. He was frequenting bars at 17 years old. And in fact, in April 2007, he even punched a bar manager so hard that it ruptured his eardrum. Why did he punch the manager? He was asked to pay his tab. Those charges disappeared because Gainesville is a football town and we got to protect our players and our record. Fuck that. You blow my eardrum, you're going to have to face some kind of charges. Period. But nope, they disappeared. And of course, he stayed high because childhood trauma. He was playing alongside Tim Tebow who literally wore his religion on his face. But riddle me this, he was still at the bar with an underage Aaron. But this ain't about Tim Tebow. I save most of my ire for Urban Meyer though. He established quite a pattern in Florida. Every season, there there were arrests, infractions of rules, and players who demonstrated horrible character And all of that was left unpunished. That win-at-all-cost mentality was a terrible disservice to these young men and the community that they inhabited. But there was none worse than Aaron Hernandez. While on scholarship at the University of Florida, he frequented many night spots. Um, It was not unusual for him to get easily angered at perceived slights. And on more than one occasion, he was described as paranoid. It was in September of 2007 that Aaron would be first accused of pulling a gun on people and actually shooting them. The victims were in a vehicle at a light when a large male who appeared to be Hawaiian or Hispanic with lots of tattoos approached the car. These guys in the car had a verbal altercation with Aaron inside the nightclub. And they chose him out of a photo lineup as the person who shot them. They, they later said that he wasn't the shooter. That was after the university and Meyer got involved. Remember, this is a college town winning over everything. Aaron was asleep in an interrogation room. While the school's attorneys work their magic. Now I don't know about you. But I watched the usual suspects. Many times. And in the film. The police detective is attempting to suss out the killer. So what does he do? He locks them up overnight and observes. The one who can sleep is the killer. Now this is a 1995 movie that still holds up except for that whole Kevin Spacey thing. But I digress, I digress. Here this 18-year-old kid is able to sleep when he's in a police interrogation room, not for stealing candy or getting into a fight, for assault with a deadly weapon, at the absolute least, and attempted murder at most. But if he did this, he got away with shooting two men. The school knew about this but continued to roll with Aaron because he was a beast at his position. An absolute beast. He remained a Gator for three seasons and finished his college career with 111 receptions for 1,382 yards and 12 touchdowns. He won the John Mackey Award as the nation's best tight end. He was also an All-American and All-SEC, but he was not welcome to play his senior season at Florida and was encouraged to enter the NFL draft. So now, at 20 years old, Aaron declared that he was ready to move to the next level of play. He was going to be a professional football player, but for whom? His reputation on the field was diminished by his off-the-field antics. Teams would really be rolling the dice by choosing this loose cannon. Now, he should have gone late in the first round or early in the second round, but teams continued to pass on him until in the fourth round with the 113th pick, he was chosen by the Patriots. This lucky fuck was going to play with arguably the best quarterback in the league, Tom Brady. But the Pats wanted to talk to Urban Meyer before they signed him. And Urban, with absolutely nothing to lose by telling the truth, still gave his endorsement. Now don't for one second think that I feel sorry for the Patriots organization. I kind of feel sorry for Aaron uh, Hernandez in this moment. Because this professionally ideal situation was the worst thing that could have happened to him personally. I listen to a podcast, uh, Crime and Sports, with James Petrogallo and Jimmy Wisman. It's a great show, lots of laughs. But damn near every episode, they talk about athletes getting in trouble when they go to wherever they consider home. Well, Aaron will be playing two hours away from home. And for a person with many demons and as socially immature as him, well, this is where it all really goes to shit. Now, I know this is going to be fucked up, (laughs) but tune in to True Crime by the Book next week so we can talk about what the hell Aaron gets into during his time at Foxborough. Um, If you enjoy what I'm doing here, please leave a rating and review for the show on your platform of choice. Check the show notes for my link tree. Those are all the many places that I can be found. Shit really gets wild in the next episode, so tell a friend to tell a friend now thanks for hanging out with me and i'll catch you in part two of killer inside the mind of aaron hernandez later bookworms